0: Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. today we'll be continuing our series in X Hello guys hmm. Hmm. if you're a visitor here and you're thinking, why are they applauding? I'm wondering the same thing you know I just uh... but wouldn't that be cool if there was an app that did that every morning you woke up and the... yeah, you know you just you just. Goal number one, you woke up. <laughs> Goal number two, you showed up for work. <laughs> what a great time. I uh, was enjoying Nick's kids uh, backstage as he was praying here. Um, they all got dedicated to service previous to that. And, uh, you know, when you're a little bit older and, and uh, you're past the little lammy stage, uh, we got them all lightsabers. So they were experiencing a little bit of my handy dandy work with a lightsaber (laughs) backstage. (laughs) If you wonder, yeah. (laughs) Well, welcome. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Very, very grateful for all of you that served in the military, uh, protecting the values of this country, as well as uh, those of you that lost loved ones in uh, previous wars. Uh, it's a significant thing, and oftentimes neglected in, in these modern times, where we forget the cost of freedom. And uh, we are an imperfect nation. I want to remind you that uh, when we uh, pre- pledge allegiance, we're not pledging allegiance to a perfect nation. We're pledging allegiance to an idea, an experiment that uh, we're hoping. Uh, The experiment doesn't go awry, (laughs) but gets better and better and better as we, as a nation, uh, hold these values dear. So, happy Memorial Day, and uh, this morning we are going to turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen for you. But today is going to be a fun day. Uh, We are going to literally be off the map, because you are going to be looking at a map And we're going to be looking at the first missionary journey for the Apostle Paul and his compadre, uh, Barnabas. Uh, What's exciting about this is you can't know this, but now you do. It's the very first missionary team to ever be sent out in the world. And the reason they were sent out is because of the infectious love of Jesus Christ, they, they witnessed Jesus, the disciples did, travel around, all within Israel, except for one brief little moment out to Tyre, which is modern-day Lebanon. The rest of the time, Jesus was confined to this small little area, mostly uh, evangelizing Jewish people to come and believe that he's the Messiah. But now that the church of Antioch has begun, which is up in northern Syria, Uh, The gospel has now broken out to be among Gentiles. Gentiles would be everybody who's not Jewish. And this is a big, big, big deal in Antioch. So Antioch, because it was the first missional church, it has it in its DNA to now go forth and give the gospel again. It was an interracial, intercultural church with leaders from all different parts of, of the world at that time. And now uh, they are sending two people out. The other thing that's interesting is they gave the world their best. Paul and Barnabas, for the last couple of years, have been pastoring the church in Antioch along with this team of leaders. And now they give these two to go out and, and on this long missionary journey that took several months and then to come back and report uh, God's good work. So I prayed a lot as I got into this, and I said, you know, this is not a subject that a lot of Christians have been pondering. They didn't come to church wondering, oh, I hope Mark preaches on the the first missionary journey. Uh, It would really change my life. And uh, so it's a challenge for me, but here's uh, the challenge I want to give to you. When I... Uh, drive some of my grandkids uh, to school or we go to Legoland we go somewhere else and I'm, I'm clicking them in with the, the seat buckle and, and so forth I, I say whisper in the ear I'm going to have more fun than you today <laughs> yeah I'm that grandpa that's just kind of like and they immediately say no you're not I'm having more fun than you and I said too late too late. I am already having fun cl- buckling you into the seatbelt because I'm with my granddaughter and I am having so much. No, you aren't. And I am having more fun sitting in this car and I'm having more fun. And, they... and then I just I point to him. I say, game on. And then at the end of the day, we're reporting how much fun we had to each other. Now... Which is better, go through life that way or just go through life Uh, that way, right? So a lot of us, we go through life and we're not seeing the opportunities that are right there in front of us. And one of them is sharing the love of Jesus with people around. I've got it. I love it. I'm going to heaven. I'm forgiven. But we forget that we've got the best deal going and there's people all around us that need this good news. So that's what's happening. I hope through this, this conversation this morning that you and I will re- be reignited uh, to want to share our faith with Jesus, with all of our friends and loved ones. Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning as we study this significant passage of Scripture and that you would cause it to come alive and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul takes the risk. He steps out of the boat, and he tries walking on water, so to speak. So we come to verse 1 of chapter 13, and it says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, so a a core of leaders. Barnabas was one who was from Cyprus, Simeon called Niger, Uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaim who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And so these five were the the core leaders of the church of Antioch. And while they were worshiping the the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. And after that... After they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, and they sent them off. Uh, prayer and fasting was a significant part of the early church, and I'm always encouraged when I travel to see that it's, it's often a part of many churches around the world. Sadly, it's not a part of the American church. I mean, there's pockets, but uh, practice, spiritual disciplines, but largely... Uh, I don't find it a practice, and I think it's a very important practice. I think fasting is something that actually alerts your soul and it awakens you to whatever you're praying for, and then you use that period of time, whether it be a meal or three meals, uh, to, for prayer instead of eating. And in that position, your prayer is more alert. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't twist God's arm. It's not like magic where God says, "Oh, you did, you fasted. Now I got to do it." Uh, it's not like that at all. But it it, it, it intensifies your prayers. Uh, as they're heard before God so that's what they do and they pray and they lay their hands on them and they send them off the laying on of hands is not just a symbolic thing it's actually a power event where you're actually asking the Holy Spirit as it were Jesus to put his hands on us and give us the Holy Spirit of wisdom and power for whatever endeavor that we're being asked to do so you just think of You know, we probably all needed to have hands laid on us when we became parents, right? God, look what we're about to do. Uh, We're about to raise kids. We desperately need the Holy Spirit in our lives. But again, going out as missionaries. So the two of them went on their way by the Holy Spirit and went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God to, in the Jewish synagogues, John was with them as their helper. A lot there. But just to look at the map, you'll see where they they went from. They were in Antioch. They traveled by foot 15 miles to the river harbor in Seleucia. And from there, they're going to travel about 120 miles to Salamis, the island of Cyprus. I've been on the island of Cyprus a couple of times for uh, secret meetings with... Um, Uh, an Arab Christian conference where they report how many have converted and how many martyrdoms every year. It's quite a significant thing to go to. Uh, They have guards in the door to make sure that no people can get in that uh, are trying to find out uh, everybody's uh, Christianity so that they can persecute them when they go back home. But that's what happens every year on the island of Cyprus. Well, if you, they they in Salamis and and paul and barnabas preach in the synagogue there and then the following week after traveling the 90 miles across cyprus they come to Paphos which is the capital and they're going to meet the governor there and that's part of their journey i don't know why they went to cyprus why they picked that but it could have just been uh hey we know cyprus barnabas is from cyprus why not go to my hometown why don't we start out small, soft opening, and, and begin there before we go any bigger than that? I I've wondered why and, and how God would have spoken to them. God said, Set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work I've called them to. But here's my question Did God also reveal where they were supposed to do where they were supposed to go? Or was that your choice? A lot of times It's our choice. We find the big idea. God says, "I want you to be a witness in your neighborhood." And then you're saying, "Oh God, I can't decide between the red house or the green house." Oh God, let me know. Is is, it's going to be a big deal? Is it a red house? Is that going to be anointed, or is it a green house? That going to be? God says, "Why don't you go for the blue house? It doesn't matter to me. I just want your my will is that you would be a witness in your neighborhood." I think. We oftentimes become paralyzed by the minutiae and thus don't make any decision. It's hard to steer a parked car. Drivers start your engines. Get it? Some of you are looking at me. (laughs) Driving metaphor. What is that? start your engines put it in gear and now let god steer and guide you a lot of times i don't know it's god's will until i look in my rearview mirror and i see what he's done so when he reveals something to you such as he did to paul and barnabas go but he doesn't reveal where it's filter's choice You get to go. You get to figure it out uh, as you go along. The first modern-day missionaries were the Moravians, followed by John William Carey, who's often touted to be the father of modern missions, but he actually followed by 60 years the Moravians. But nevertheless, William Carey chose India. I don't know. He could have done just as well in Bangladesh and Cambodia, but that's where he chose uh, because the Brits were already doing sizable colonialization in India. But the other thing is that um, the Moravians chose the slave trade in St. Croix and St. Thomas and St. John uh, and sent missionaries there, not to the slave owners, but to the slaves to evangelize them. Come. They just said, hey, this, we feel it on our heart, let's go. And so as God begins to speak something in your heart, then he gives you the freedom to step out. I had a, a mentor in my life early on named Mother Mitchell. She was about 87, and when I met her, uh, she was traveling all the world, and she was, she was at a, uh, a um, kind of a youth family conference that I was at, and she came on stage wearing a burqa, and, uh, and we thought, oh, what's this, you know, what's going on here, and then she takes it off, and she says, these are the people I'm reaching for Christ, and I said, ooh, I like this radical lady, 87, and this is what she's doing, uh, so she, whether because she was blind or whatever, she uh, mistook me for her grandson. And I started chauffeuring her around, and, uh, and I learned a lot from her. But she said to me, Mark, Mark, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but um, I feel like God said to me, Mother Mitchell, you make the plans and I'll okay them. And I said, well, I think for you, that's okay, because uh, you've walked with God for so long. But there comes a point where you've got to start making plans, you can't just sit back and say, Well, I don't know what God's will, is. I keep praying, I don't know. Okay, sara, sara. I don't know, whatever you want, God. And, and and God just needs you to move, to get a gear, and He'll steer you. So all that to say, God spoke, go. They chose Cyprus. And they travel now across this the, the island to Paphos, and they have this power encounter with the governor of the entire island. It says in verse 6, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer. Wow. Those two words don't often go together. So you have a Jewish person who obviously has the Torah, what we call the Old Testament, and knows it. And is apparently a practicing Jew, but at the same time is also practicing things that are uh, actually spoken against in the Torah, which is sorcery. And uh, so he's practicing that, and he's called here a false prophet named Son of Jesus, bar Jesus, Jesus being a common name in those days. So he was the Son of Jesus. Who was attend, an attendant of the proconsul, which is a word for governor, Sergius Paulus? The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. So, what has happened here? Apparently, either in the marketplace or again, perhaps in synagogue, Paul and Barnabas perhaps met Bar Jesus who is later called Elimus, And and he must have gone back to his boss. He works in the courtyard of the governor and said, hey, I met these guys that are traveling through Cyprus. They're Jewish. They came to synagogue, and they're they're preaching that this guy came as the Messiah. And the governor says, I want to hear this. So it says in verse 8, but Elimus, the sorcerer, for that was what his name means opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So while they're sharing with the proconsul the gospel, now Eliamas, who brought them into the courtyard, turns against them and is trying to contradict them and trying to get them to stop sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It would be, for those of you that bowl... You know, you like to go bowling, and it, bowling is a very straightforward concept. you got a ball, you got pins, you knock them over however you can. And, uh, but what if we introduced contact bowling? <laughs> so the other guys that aren't bowling, they're all sitting there with helmet and shoulder pads. And just as you go to release the ball, they hit you blindside and knock you off your feet. Now it's, it's a different game, right? You're looking at them, and you're looking at the pins, you're looking at them, and quick, get, get the ball off. Well, that's what's happening here. They're just trying to deliver the gospel, and this guy is hitting them blindside, contradicting and opposing them. And so Paul, while he's trying to do this, it says, then Paul, Saul, excuse me, who was also called Paul, and by the way, from this point on, Luke will use his Greek name instead of his Jewish name, which was Saul, uh, his Greek name Paul, because now he's in a Gentile world. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamis and said. Remember when I was talking about dealing with demonized people. Look them straight in the eye. So the text makes it clear. He made eye contact. That's what the literal says. And he says, you are a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of... Deceit and trickery, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time and not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him. He groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Wow! I would first of all say, do not try this at home. <laughs> you know, your mother's talking to you, and you decide to, to try your little wizardry. Uh, you know, th- do not try this at home. What What is happening here is Paul is actually led by the Holy Spirit. He's probably having this meta communication going on where he's communicating with the governor, but he's asking the Lord, what do I do about this guy who's trying to contact me in bowling? He's trying to counteract what I'm doing, and God gives him a word of knowledge to say, this is what you do, and this is what you say. He may have even said, do you remember what I did to you on the road to Damascus, how you were temporarily blind." speak it and so it was under the leadership of the holy spirit and not experimenting and and seeing what will happen the other thing that uh oftentimes in a modern audience we're offended by everything so if if uh if we say oh you know the poor guy you know he was just practicing his magic and and uh you know paul does this to him you know it's just poor guy you know i thought god was a god of love So we're offended by a lot of different things. But Paul uh, is led by the Holy Spirit. And you don't know what happened in Elamus' life after that. It could have been a huge wake-up call for him, just like it was for Paul, off of his horse on the road to Damascus to discover uh, the power and the love of Jesus Christ. And I would remind you... What he was contradicting was Paul sharing the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that anyone who believes can have forgiveness and eternal life. And if someone's saying no, can't do it, contradicting, so forth and so on, they're actually speaking against the truth of God. What we pray is, thy kingdom come, thy will, perfect will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. But a lot of times, we don't really want the way it is in heaven. And so, this is how this encounter took place, but it was so powerful, it led to the conversion of the governor. He heard the word, the truth, and he saw the power of the risen Jesus, that Jesus is still alive, and so he became a believer What we don't know is now what happened. Is a church formed? Is, is something happened? We're just to assume that wherever they went, a group of disciples were now organized to meet regularly, uh, usually on Sunday because that was called Resurrection Day. And it was usually in the evening, not the morning because nobody had Sunday off. In the secular world, they worked seven days a week in the Jewish world, they had Saturday off, uh, but nobody had Sunday off, and so church started as soon as you got w- off work on Sunday evening. So that's probably what happened. Both, if you look back at the map, if you in Salamis, and the difference between Salamis and Paphos is we're told the story of Salamis in a strictly Jewish setting, then in Paphos we're told in a strictly gentile setting so here's what I want you to think about this would be a a little time for mental exercise think of uh, three people that you know well Uh, maybe one family member maybe one work associate and one neighbor can you do that think of three people got those three in your mind now my question to you is how would you share the love of Jesus Christ with each one of those would it be different I think it would with one you might say well they're actually they had a little bit of church in their background so with them I'm gonna remind them of some scripture I'm gonna remind them that would dig up some memories just like a Paul going to a Jewish synagogue with another one you say wow you know, they have health issues. So I'm going to ask them, how is your health going? How are you doing with this? And I'm going to ask them, hey, could I pray for you? And maybe with the third one, you know, they're, they're business people. And I'm going to ask them all about your business. And I'm going to ask them if they can come to, uh, with me to this new thing that we're starting You know, we approach different people different ways. And I think it's good for us to think through how I would share the love of Jesus with people out there. Here's something to think about. If we don't think about this, you probably will never do it. Just saying. Now, those of you in business, if you had a product that you were trying to sell, let's say you had this amazing product, and finally Costco that rules the world (laughs) says we want to see your product and you have 11 minutes to present your product to the representatives of Costco and I ask you so what are you going to do and you say to me I don't know I'm just going to wing it I'm just going to go in and whatever comes to my mind is what I'll do because that must be what God wants me to do and I'm just going to wing it I'll bet you not I'll bet you have a PowerPoint presentation. You're going to be in there and say, check out these knives. They slice, they dice, they do this, they do this. And you put it in the blender, it does this, and it comes out, uh, whatever. You're you're going to amaze them with what you do. But when it comes to sharing the gospel, I don't know, never thought about it. Yo, that's right. It's only the love of Jesus. I never thought about it. Well, think about it. It, 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 it's important because those are the very people. And here's the second thing is pray for the opportunity. It will happen. Say, God, give me an opportunity to share your love with a neighbor. Give me an opportunity to share your love with a friend. And here's the scariest one with a relative. Yeah, I know. Those are scary. But an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with a neighbor. Well, the story goes on, and it says they sail north, as you can see on the map, to Perga. So now it gets really, really big because they're going to go into what is called Asia Minor. This whole area up here we know as modern-day Turkey. But did you know the Turks aren't there right now? The Turks didn't move in until the ninth century a d and by the way by the way that should be the name of this sermon by the way i'm just gonna say that a lot by the way not only were the turks not there but this will amaze you guess who was in the center part of modern-day turkey the celtics Oh, what bagpipes uh... You're talking about the Irish? What what are we talking about? We are talking about the Celts, the Celts. They were from the center of Europe. And yes, they went west all the way to Gaul. Gaul, which is modern-day France. And just they went to Portugal. All of that was Celtic. Eventually went up into Scotland and Ireland. And they also went east and south down into central Turkey. That's why the first book in the New Testament is called Galatia. That whole region is called Galatia after Gaul, the the Celtics. Look, I'm not going to even charge you for that one. That's just an (laughs) amazing history. So off they go, and it says in verse 13, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Seems very matter-of-fact, inadvertent, yeah, John, Mark left them. So John, or John, Mark, he wrote the the gospel of Mark, and his mother was the householder of the prayer meeting where the people in Jerusalem were praying for Peter to be released. Do you remember that story? His mom owned the house, a wealthy house, had a servant and so forth. And John is also the cousin of Barnabas. I know, it gets a little thick there. So he's traveling along as their helper, younger, and he decides out of nowhere, I'm done, I'm leaving. And it seems like, oh, well, John left him. If you read on for two more chapters, you find out Luke uses a different word. When he mentions him again, he says, he deserted them. Strong word. He bailed on them. Uh, and and he, he went AWOL. He didn't want to finish the trip, and we don't know why. Was he homesick? He missed his mom down in Jerusalem. Maybe he missed the posh life. Maybe he only signed up for Cyprus in his mind. They want to go on. And, or maybe he was intimidated because we find out later from the book of Galatia that uh, Paul was sick when he first preached the gospel in Galatia. Maybe Paul, as it speculated, had malaria or something. He just said, wow, I don't want to get this disease. Uh, you don't want to stay healthy. <laughs> or... Maybe he disagreed with Paul in his boldness with the Gentiles. Or maybe it's because Barnabas was not the leader anymore, his cousin, and now Paul is taking the lead. Whatever the reason, it blew up their team. And here's what I want you to know. I have noticed over the last couple of years as a Christian, whenever a team goes somewhere, even for 10 days on a short-term missionary trip... There's usually someone in the team that's vulnerable to the enemy and somehow becomes a problem to the rest of the team. And you try to vet it, you try to surface it and say, Are you okay with this? Are you Are okay with this? Are you okay if we eat wasps and spiders? Are you okay if we just have nothing to eat but lizards? Are you okay with it? you know, if we have no money? Are you okay, okay with this, 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 You know, I'm joking. And, and they say, Yeah, I'm good. I can hardly wait to get there. It's going to be so cool. You know, it's just, and then they get there and it's just like, Ah, all your energy is going to try to, come on, little buddy. We can do it again today. Come on, little buddy. So uh, something to think about, that the enemy can attack within, not just outward, but can kind of hit the team. And it really took the wind out of this team. So Paul and Barnabas go on by themselves, and they have to trudge, uh, go back to the map, they have to trudge uh, about 120 miles, and what you can't see on the map is that this is through Mountains. The mountains are 3,500 3, feet high. So they got to go from sea level. Paul's sick. And they got to go over the mountains to Pisidian Antioch where Paul is going to preach the gospel in the heart of this city. So now they get there. And we're going to see a classic sermon from the Apostle Paul. In a Jewish setting, in synagogue, which gives us a flavor of how Paul presented the gospel to a Jewish audience as opposed to a Greek audience. It says that after the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, this is in verse 15, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. So they go to synagogue, which is where the the natural audience is. They gather every week, and they sit down in the synagogue. Now, to picture a synagogue at that time, a synagogue would seat about 120, 150 people. It was an area about the size of the center section of the auditorium. Only what they would do is carve into the walls seating. So it would be stadium seating. You'd be seated on stone, stadium seating, either three or four tiers up as you go up the wall. And then in the back, it would be the same except for the door. And then behind me, it would be the same. So it was kind of a theater in the round. And that's where everyone sat. And And the, the scrolls would be up here in front. And then whoever is presenting would stand in the middle and present. So what they do in, in the order that's even still common to this day is first there is the Shema that begins the service. The Shema from Deuteronomy 6, The Lord our God is one God. Uh, you shall worship the Lord your God uh, and, and love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And, the, and so that is the Shema. And then the rest of the prayers follow. Then there's a reading, as it says here, from the Old Testament Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And then there's a reading from the prophets. And then they send a, a messenger to walk over to Paul and Barnabas that they can see that they're guests. And they, maybe Paul is even on Saturdays wearing his rabbinical attire. So they know, well, a dignitary is with us here. And they say, do you have a word for us? Paul shrewdly using the text from the Pentateuch and the prophets now begins to speak and uses that as his, te- as his text. Jesus did the same thing if you go back and read his visit to Nazareth where he, he uses the text uh, about um, uh, you know, the word of God you know, setting the captives free and the blind receiving their sight and says this word has been... Uh, Uh, confirmed in your hearing well here Paul does the same thing and he begins by telling him the history of Israel and he goes through the history of Israel I'm not going to read it all to you but it's verses 16 through uh, 26 and he gets to David in the history and once he gets to David he says now the son of David has come Jesus the Messiah and John the Baptist in case you heard of them he proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah and he died for our sins so you may be forgiven and he rose again from the dead and many of us saw him and so that's the message that he preaches and once he gets past that he concludes by asking them to choose wisely what are you going to do it's 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 you now that have to make a decision so when we get to verse 42 we find out that paul has success there and as typical he has resistance from some jews it says as paul and barnabas were leaving the synagogue the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next sabbath so they said come back next week let's hear some more When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Only the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of God. The news spread, hey, some visitors, they got some crazy news. And the Jews saw the crowds that came out, and they were filled with jealousy either thinking they can't be a part of this or how did Paul and Barnabas get so popular? And we've been here for all our whole lives and we, we could never grow this synagogue. So either way, they became jealous and they began to cause them to have resistance and contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them, him, them boldly, we had to speak the word of God first to you. Paul always said first to the Jew then to the Gentile Romans 1:16 but then he says now since you reject it and you do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life we now turn to the gentiles for this is what the lord has commanded us i have made you a light to the gentiles this is a messianic passage and that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth so the gentiles hear this they're glad they receive it gladly, and, and they believe. So verse 49, the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region, the gospel. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet, as a warning to them and went on to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Wow. There's so much there. Why do we think when there's resistance that somehow God is not blessing us? I see that over and over again something falls apart and we say, I don't know what God's doing to me. I thought I wanted me to do this, but I don't know why it's so hard and God is resisting me. And why do we think it's God? We are behind enemy lines. We have parachuted in representing God in, in enemy territory, and we will get resistance. And it's a picture, success and rejection, both. Both. So if you and I went out Actually, there's a friend of mine Actually did this as an experiment uh, Living in Rancho Santa Fe Went house to house in her neighborhood Inviting women in her neighborhood To come to her house to a Bible study Pretty gutsy, bold step Do you want to know what the success rate was? 50% Wow! 50% Yeah, I'm in, I'm in And we can, you know, I don't, I I just come and study with you. Yeah, I'm in. But you can imagine the 50% that said no had some words to say about her. Right? It's just, it's just the way it is. I find that people in sales have some tough skin. You know, the people that go to doctor's offices selling this. And some doctors, you know, say, give me all your samples and I'm going to buy nothing. You know, um, you know that's tough. Dude. You know, I just gave an hour of my time. And it's, and that's tough. But after a while, they say, you know what? It's the laws of percentages, you know. They love me. They love me not. They love me. They love me not. They love me. It's It's... Get over it. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And Jesus said, if, if they hated me, they will hate you too. But there's some people that want the love of Jesus Christ and want the forgiveness of sins. So Paul and Barnabas, they shake the dust off their feet and they go on to Iconium. And we'll pick that up next week. So let me ask you, those three people that you thought of earlier... What if God gave you an opportunity this week, this month, to begin a conversation where you say, you know what, we've been friends for a long time and I don't think I've ever shared with you uh, either why I'm a believer or the most important thing about my life. Um, The most important thing is that God loves me and I don't deserve it. I'm a horse thief. I'm a pirate. I'm a pillager of villages. And God loved me. And he forgave me of all my sins. And I believe that he wants to forgive you and everybody of all of our sins as we believe on him. And then it's their turn. Say, could you never tell me that again? Or... right or could it be like you know what I'd love to talk about that but I'm, I'm, I'm not this cold turkey guy I need to I need to have a conversation about this can we meet for coffee again uh, or I want to pray right now to accept the same Jesus that you know uh, we are the product we are the salt and light of the world and God wants to distribute us just like he did Paul and Barnabas, for this great story of sharing the love of Jesus with the world. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the unbelievable truth of amnesty, forgiveness of all of our sins. Wiped clean. And we want to become people who share that good news. And we pray right now, Lord, as as you're moving amongst us, uh, that you'd speak to our hearts as well about our need for forgiveness. This morning while we're praying and our heads are bowed, if you realize this morning that you are the one standing in the need of prayer to give your heart and life to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you did it a long time ago. But you now know. You haven't been following Jesus. And you are standing in the need of prayer. But, or maybe you've never done it. But I want to give us an opportunity. To raise our hands. And say yes. I'm going to follow Jesus. I want the forgiveness of sins. And so while we're praying and our heads are bowed, if that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand where you are? And I want to pray for you. And let this be on Memorial Day weekend, the new beginning of your life in following Jesus. Yes, God bless you. Way over here to my right. Who else? Yes, God bless you. Right down here. Anybody else? Another right down here. Yes, God bless you back there in, in my left. God bless you over here to my right. You back in the alcove. Anybody else? Yes, yes, God bless you right back here. And God bless you right down here. Got it. Anyone else? To my left over here, if I missed you. Right over here to my right. Thank you. Got it. And yes, ma'am, God bless you. Right in the back. If you raised your hand this morning, I want you to pray this prayer with me as I pray it out loud. Lord, today, I need forgiveness. Today, I need new life. And I believe that you are the Savior of the world. So come into my life and cleanse me from all sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. For from this day forward, I am a follower of Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.